thanks to Cry Malt. This is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, founder of Australian Brews News. And as ever, I'm joined by my good friend, colleague, and all-round good beer guy, Pete Mitchum. How's it going, Pete? Very well, thanks, Matt. I'm upbeat. I'm interesting. Not interesting. Interested. Um, had a great weekend. Uh, very buoyant, I, I guess, it would be my description of myself. I've been to the, the Great Australian Beer Festival down at Geelong this weekend, which uh, saw big numbers. I think the biggest numbers that we've had down there. A lot of fun. Uh, great day for it. Meeting, uh, happened to, I guess, catch up with a lot of people who I've known um, virtually and, and now have met them IRL. And, uh, yeah, so all good. Good weekend. How about yourself? Uh, yeah, not too bad. It's been sort of just bubbling along, you know, just uh, keeping uh, keeping on keeping on. We've got some exciting plans coming up. We, uh, You and I are sponsoring the or Australian Brews News, I should say. It's uh, not personalised it too much, but you and I are certainly going to be deeply involved in Good Beer Week, the Beer Geek stream part of the program, and we've got a few interesting things coming up as part of that. Um, so... Certainly, listeners, uh, look out for the programs which are being launched in about a month from now, I think. Um, Yeah, usually about that time. Could be a week up program, um, proudly sponsored by uh, Australian Brewers News. And uh, there's hopefully going to... Well, I haven't seen the program yet, and when I get it, it'll be embargoed, but uh, certainly uh, some exciting stuff there. We've also got, in March, uh, we're going to be uh, down in Sydney for the podcast in the pub with Charlie Bamforth. Uh, I'll speak to you off air, Prof, about organising flights for that, but that's uh, coming together. So Sydney listeners or people who are travelling or any brewers, and I know that we've got a lot of brewers who are coming who might want to travel to Sydney for the IBD Asia Pacific Conference. Um, Certainly, actually, that's a a, look a rabbit. Um, We will be down there. Certainly come and join us on the Sunday night for podcast in a pub with uh, Charlie Bamforth. But also, if you are listening to this, um, the IBD has announced that they have a craft brewers stream for the first two days of the uh, craft brewers conference. And it's certainly well worth um, traveling and getting along uh, for that conference and uh, you know, learning a lot about uh, things that you need to know for the brewery. And the IBD, which I think, Prof, some uh, brewers, particularly in the craft end, tend to see that as the um, big beer. Um, of, uh, big beer, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's, it, it, I, I guess, or, for a long or, time or in Australia... Or a very technical side rather than the, yeah, other side. Very much, yeah. But I, I guess for a long time it was true because they were pretty much the only breweries that were operating... Uh, that were part of the IBD with the big ones, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but they certainly are reaching out to... Um, craft brewers. They've incorporated craft brewers in the conference. I think it's $400 to go along to the first two days. Um, so it's well worth uh, doing. And uh, yeah, certainly focusing on improving quality in brew houses for craft brewers. So I uh, highly recommend that uh, anyone, and we've got a story on that on the website. Um, other stories we've got on Australian Brews News this week. Prof, um, great response to last week's uh, interview with Chris Sheen. Um, certainly had a little bit of traffic. Um, not sure whether James... Atkinson's summary on the website was a little bit clickbait. What do you think? Uh, are you suggesting that uh, you know his uh, his old intermediate uh, background um, is sneaking into into the the hallowed halls of, of Australian Brews News, and he's he's going for cheap clicks? Well, when you, when you, you read the headline that? that says "Growth of 150 Lashes Scary" inverted commas, and uh, it's an interview with the head, head brewer of Squires, um, I, I you know. 
look, I, I think it's one of those things that, you know, pulling out the, uh, the, the most interesting part of the interview. Yeah. Um, but it was a great... And it does, it does really highlight for, for those of us, I guess, who, or sorry, the, those in the beer world who, who tend to uh, dismiss or, or ignore uh, or underrate those beers as a, as a beer. It's interesting to look at their numbers and, and just how much that beer is growing. That indicates that that, that that beer is out in the market and is doing, you know, increasing by 20%, I think Chris was saying. You, you can't ignore those sort of numbers. And, that, and there's a lot to be, I guess, learnt from that in terms of marketing because you really don't sort of see a lot of marketing for 150 lashes it's not in the same category as 4x gold or or twoies or you know the you know the traditionally big branded brands um and yet it's 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 pumping along yeah you do see a little bit of uh um uh sort of roadside you know banner and but you don't see it on television yet or anything like that um but they they do seem to be putting a bit of a push on it but it was fascinating there's one of the angles of discussion was um from and i'll see if i get this around the right way craft is five percent of the market squires is 30 percent of that five percent and then 150 lashes is 60 percent of that 30% of that 5%, yeah. which adds up to a fairly significant part of the uh, you a, know, Australian beer market overall. That's a lot of liquid if you put it all in one big glass. Mm. Mm. So, uh, but, and, you know, it's, it's brewed at a number of breweries around the country to, uh, to make sure of that. One brewery that I'm suspecting that it won't be brewed at, um, given the news this week, is Bogues Brewery, um, which announced yesterday that they're downscaling and uh, 39 jobs will be lost. Well, some will be lost, some will be changed from staff into contractors. Yeah, well, yeah. Which is often 39 jobs lost, yeah. Um, But I'll just Or is that in addition, the contract? Anyway, look, it's a a quaint old brewery. um, For those who have have done the tour and and the visit and that sort of thing, um, you can... And and having spent a bit of time with some of the... um, the brew team leaders in the past sort of saying some of the, the beers that they, you know, the, the Tas- that they brew just for the Tasmanian market very much loved and, and, and have a, you know, a, I guess a, a touchy feely role um, in, in a lot of people's lives. But he said the trouble they had was they had a lot of this uh, up-to-date equipment. They couldn't actually, the, the quantities they needed to brew weren't actually enough to prime the pump, you know, for the filter, that sort of thing. So they, uh, off the record, might have had to push some other beer behind it just to get enough into you know um, to get the the filter working. So it indicates that you either need to you know do we upscale and and everything, or do we make it more a I, I guess a boutique or a you know um, limited brewery. Uh, plus, I guess the the costs if there's a lot if there's a lot of beer being made down there just to be shipped back over Bass Strait, you're perhaps better off focusing on on the mainland absolutely and look to, to me it really highlights how much excess capacity there is in in, in the system uh last year we saw or last year two years ago we saw when sab miller took over cub um they previously built a 125 million dollar state-of-the-art brewery you know when they had their blue tongue partnership um yeah and once they took over CUB, yeah mm. Uh, Waterville, and they had a beautiful brewery down there. Um, closed very soon after the, the merger, so that's I mean that's a 125 million dollars. Pretty much just um, don't need you anymore because they've got Yaddler in Queensland, they've got Abbotsford down your way, um, and they've also got Cascade Brewery. And 
you know, to, to be able to, when you don't have the volumes um, through your main breweries that you're closing down a $125 million brewery, um, that's saying something. So, um, yeah, look, exactly. If they don't need it, they've got a number of, they've got, S, they've got South Australian Brewing, they've got 4X, um, and they've got two E's in, in Sydney. Sydney. Yeah. Um, now, and of course, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. And uh, what about the James Squire? Brewhouse, are they doing Kosciuszko or anything else out of that, or is it just the James oh, Squire? No, no, well, I, well, I, I don't know. Kosciuszko may have reached the stage. Um, I, I think that they're only brewing three of the Squires beers at the Camperdown Brewery, and the rest have gone out to the, yeah, uh, the big ones. The big breweries. Yeah. Um, I know that Kosciuszko was for a long time there. It may well have reached the volumes that it's uh, been pushed out to, to some of the others. No, they've also got Little Creatures, two Little Creatures breweries Um as part oh, of the of network as well. Yes, yes, yes. And that's where Cosy Oscar uh, is being brewed out of Geelong, I think, at the moment. I believe so. But uh, I, I will read, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll just read from the media release because uh, you know, there are some jobs being lost. This is not something we've taken lightly and is no reflection on the dedication and capability of our people at the Swan Brewery or the importance of the WA market to our business. We'll be consulting with our people to support them through this significant change. Um, sorry, that was the wrong media release, Prof. Yeah, I was going to um, say, that's, Wow. Bogue, moving sorry, to Western I, Australia. No, no, sorry. I'll, I'll, sorry, that was a media release. I'm from sorry, I'll read that again. I will read that again. Um, uh, this is not something we have taken lightly and is no reflection of the dedication and capability of our people at the Bogues Brewery um, or the importance of the Tasmanian market to our business. Uh, we recognise the uh, impact that this will have. What, mate, he's wait, a, wait a minute, Matt. Wait a minute. <laughs> just go back again. Uh, how, did, how, you, how? did you just cut and paste that comment? That you just no, made no. about but I think, reading a comment I, I, that you just made that I, I, might have been cut and pasted. James Brindley, managing director, of Lion uh, Beer, Spirits and Wine Australia, seems to have. Uh, yet well, look, you've got 2012. No, Matt, you're being cynical now. I think what it says is, do you know, what? we are we are we are so dedicated in our um, in our aims and our goals that we we reiterate them. We don't need to change them because we don't want we don't want. To, we're, I don't want to, you know, um, I don't know, um, confuse the message. You, you don't think a boilerplate, gee whiz, we're sorry, guys, um, shows a lack of sincerity? Or, you know, maybe it's a case that they just didn't want one group of workers to feel more special by having a more sort of heartfelt, uh, you know, acknowledgement of their pain and suffering. Well, no, you read that out. I couldn't actually see that in front of you. Were the words Swan Brewery crossed out and then in crayon above Bogues? Or was it actually... Um, Not quite. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll read them again. No, 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 no I got it. <laughs> so, so just, yeah. yeah. Yeah, at least they reprinted it and, you know, changed the name of the brewery. They didn't just, you know, cross out one. Yeah. There, there are it's, easy, it's easy to be cynical and, and we shouldn't, you know... Look, I, I hope those guys uh, in, the, in the growing beer industry, that, you know, that, that there is now, that that um, technical knowledge... And I don't know whether it's whether it's packaging or whether it's brewers or whether it's you know um, people who make sure the labels are stuck on or t truck drivers. I don't know. Um, I hope that uh, those skills that they've learned uh, are not lost to to beer. Absolutely, but yeah. And so, I, and I certainly wasn't making light in that um, of the you know the, the workers that have uh, lost their jobs. Um, and we do wish them every well. It's just more a case of uh, yeah, the the, the, the boilerplate uh, media release that comes out announcing the loss. Um, one other thing, but just before you move away from that, though, Prof. Uh, you know, as you said, it, it seems silly to brew forex and two e's and things in Tasmania and then ship it back to the to the mainland. Um, 
given that Tasmania is a relatively small beer market for them. Um, but it does show uh, just how important Tasmanian brewed is to a beer such as Bogues. Yeah. The fact that yeah. you know, if, if there is so much, you know, 39 million litres um, is, uh, I think, if I'm remembering that correctly, it's 39 uh, million litres is Bogues. Um, 36 million litres, uh, still very substantial, 36 million litres. You'd think that that would be picked up quite easily elsewhere in the in, in the network. Um, and if it wasn't for the fact that Bogues is so synonymous with being brewed in Tasmania, um, you'd, you'd think that they would move it as well. So, Well, it's also very synonymous with being brewed uh, above the Plimsoll line of, of Tasmania. There's that halfway mark, which I think is the little town of uh, Ross, is it maybe? Um, there's like a historical town, which is kind of like that, you know, that where everyone kind of stops on the way driving between Hobart and and Launceston. And it's kind of this magical line where, you know, below that you drink Cascade and above that you drink Bogue. So it's it's very almost, you know, a a regional kind of thing as well. You don't see a lot of Bogues down in in Hobart. Or or, or I haven't in the places that I've been. But even when uh, Tap King, um, you know, launched and had uh, Bogues, uh, it was all of the other beers in the uh, Tap King... uh, Kingdom, as they uh, referred to it, were made in Sydney. Um, Bogues was the only one that they brewed in uh, Tasmania and trucked up for bottling at the special uh, Tap King plant. Oh, there you go. So, uh, yeah, so it's obviously, you know, these these days you hear brewers talk about, look, it doesn't matter where beer's made, it all tastes the same. Um, and, you know, we, as they do with uh, James Squire, for example, you know, we can brew it anywhere and it can have the same flavour profile. Obviously, there's something that's very important to the Bogues brand that, uh, yeah. despite the excess yeah. capacity, they'll uh, they'll keep it down there. Which there's something that uh, transcends the physical, or the, you know, it's it's yeah, it's it's more about, uh, I guess, you know, protecting your patch and being proud of your heritage and all that sort of thing. It's it's not just it's made for us; it's made for us, and it's made here. Mm. Oh, but obviously, that wasn't the case with a, a very proud brand like Swan, because as we uh, read out before, you know, they closed that four years ago, yeah. and. Uh, Either that the volumes were so small that it just wasn't worth doing. So, but uh, yeah, um, what else was on the on the news this week? Um, anything stand out for you, Prof? Uh, no, not really. I mean, there were, yeah, bits and pieces, but I sort of you know I'm, I'm still catching up on the news, to be honest. Uh, oh, just uh, actually just breaking news. Well, it won't be breaking news by the time uh, it goes out. But uh, James Atkinson has posted a. Um, Story Creatures Founders back UK brewery startup, and that is uh, former Little Creatures brewer Alex Troncos- Troncoso and his partner Annie. Oh, okay. Um, lost and grounded brewers. Well, there you go. There you go. So uh, that's up on well, that, that's up on the website. Yeah. So everyone probably will have read it by then. Um, apart from that, uh, yeah. So that that was our because uh, Alex of course, that- was was um, an integral part of. Um, uh, Camden Town Brewery. Camden Town, yes, yeah. yes. He was the first external brewer brought on to really ramp up their operations. Yeah. Uh, actually, one other story, the uh, Prof um, Owen Johnston, who's a good friend of the show. He's been on a few times um, and corrected us a few times when we've uh, strayed on about hops. Um, did you see that he's started his hop trial beer company? Uh, yes. Yeah, and good luck to him. I think it's a, a great initiative, and uh, and good to see the old firm back together with Johnny Burridge. Um, so the the two former, uh, I guess you know the drivers of of Moobrew there for many years, um, and I think it's a great opportunity for 
uh, as, uh, as OJ said, it's not just about how much, you know, dosage rates in hopping is very important in uh, and understanding how, you know, the, your quantity of hops, um, you know, based on the oil contents and all those other sort of things. Uh, I think it's just a, a um, it's nice to have that a, a spotlight shone on that aspect. That's right. It's, it's not just the amount of hops, it's the yield of the hops and all of those sorts of things. And so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether other brewers pick up that, um, uh, you know, the, the, that way of measuring and uh, seeing. But, uh, mate, you, you did mention that he's got the band back together with uh, John down at uh, Moo Brew. And I know that OJ um, is a you know, regular listener to the show. Do you reckon he's just phoning it in? Do you reckon he's just sort of sitting at the desk at uh, Hop Products Australia and just phoning, oh, yeah, mate, run it through again? Or do you reckon he's actually got mash panel in, paddle in hand? No, mate, no, no. You'll be just writing stuff on the back of a, um, a coaster from the pub. I reckon, and just sort of <laughs> faxing it in, yeah, faxing it through. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, I don't think OJ was never very hands-on, was he? Uh, you know, a good manager ensures things get done, Matt. They don't do them; they ensure that they are done. Okay, let's let, let, let's see if uh, we that inspires a call uh, this week. <laughs> but um, mate, our guest today, um, we teased it last week. Um, uh, Peter Simons is his name, uh, author of Bronze Brews, Home Brewing Old Australian Beers. Um, now, Peter is a, uh, he, he's a very technical-minded uh, person um, and takes a very technical approach to craft brewing, home brewing. He's been a home brewer for a long, long time um, mm-hmm. and uh, has appeared on the Jamil Janashev show. But he's brought out a book looking at... Um, you know, the origin of some of the great Australian brews and how uh, beer has come out, um, you know, throughout history. And look, I, you know, anyone who's read my writings knows I've got a bit of a um, bent for history and looking at some of these things. And I certainly uh, find the wading through lots of technical material um, a little bit hard, but Peter has done the hard work for you. Um, And the, the book is... If you're a home brewer, you'll find that it's a very authoritative guide on some fairly dry topics of um, your home brewing and conversions and, and those sorts of things. But anyone that's got a in, interest in history, there's a lot of really interesting uh, history about Australian beers in there. So um, we thought we'd invite Peter on to the show and have a bit of a chat to him about the book and uh, uh, hopefully fire you up to, uh, to, to buy a copy. I've been uh, home brewing for quite a long time. 18 years, something like that, and um, recognised uh, BJCP beer judge, entered various competitions, uh, do things with um, extra special brewers, our local homebrew club. So I've I've been doing um, quite a bit of work around my non-day job, my hobby, and I've been uh, fortunate to have won the Lalaman Scholarship through the AHA in 2009, and I went to uh, Chicago and learnt about the way uh, the Americans go about brewing, which is quite different from what I learnt at Ballarat. Before we get into that, I might just uh, even take a step back. So Mm. brewing is your hobby, your home brewing is is a hobby. Um, What's your day job? Uh, If you're familiar with the Rockford Files uh, from days gone by, James Gardner always used to have a a pocket full of cards that he could use for whatever situation cropped up. And and my career in uh, railway signalling, control and communications has been been a bit like that. I've done multiple roles, design, testing, design management, engineering management, project direction, project management, this, that and the other. Uh, So my uh, professional career 
has led me to write numerous technical papers. And the one thing about a technical paper and a presentation to go with it is that they tend to be rather brief. Writing a book is somewhat of uh, a different proposition. But yet you've gone on and studied uh, brewing at the University of Ballarat. So it sounds like it's a little bit more than just a, a weekend uh, occasional hobby. It's quite character forming when you've worked in an industry for a fair while. Uh, I think when people get made redundant, you can approach it in a few different ways. And uh, my approach was to set up my own company. And I thought, well, I'd been interested in brewing for a fair while. And I thought I'd like to give myself uh, the option if I felt like doing uh, brewing in the future professionally. I thought I ought to go and get a graduate certificate in brewing. So I did. So you do have plans to uh, take it from the garage to uh, to, to, to go uh, professional? No. <laughs> Did you want more time to think like about that, the answer? <laughs> no, no, that, that was quite quite unequivocal. I've seen multiple startups and that type of thing, and and it's hard work. It's not something that I I think uh, is worth the the effort in my estimation. It's probably good for somebody that's um, mid thirties, mad as a cut snake, and just wants to get into it. I think that's great, and we we've all drunk a lot of interesting beers from people that have jumped into it. Uh, but no, too much hard work, I think. That, that in itself is worthy of a, uh, worthy of a conversation. Have you spoken to, to brewers and informing that view? No, it's uh, observational. I've seen how much effort um, people like Richard Adamson has had to put into uh, Young Henry's and Scotty Morgan at uh, Rocks Brewing, Ben Christ down at Bridge Road. It's hard work, and, and you've really got to got to plug away at it. Not only have you got to produce beer, you've got to be a business manager. I'm quite comfortable with the business management side. I, I quite like uh, the model that my mate Jamil Zainashev uh has adopted. He's the brewmaster, yet he gets um, he, he's got some really good people that work for him, and and he manages the business and gets to play with the recipe formulations and all those other interesting bits. Introducing uh, Jamil's name is a great uh, segue into your book Bronze Brews, which came about because you were asked to do some research uh, on, on Australian brewing for uh, Jamil's show from memory. That's right, and and if I could backtrack a little bit. Barry Cranston and myself uh, went down to Melbourne for the very first ANHC. We decided we'd make a week of it. We did a few day trips around, and we went up to um, uh, Hill End. We're in the pub at lunchtime uh, sampling the brews, and both Barry and I had been listening to uh, the Brewing Network for many years. And who walks in the door but Jamil and um, uh, one of his mates who was living in Melbourne? So there was five of us in the pub, including the, the guy behind the bar. And out of those five, uh, four were going to the homebrew conference because the other guy in the pub was sitting in the corner just having a pint before uh, he went home. We had one or two beers, struck up a bit of a conversation. We all seemed to just hit it off. And that's what generated Jamil calling me up or emailing me saying, I want to do Australian sparkling. Would you like to do it? And I said, oh, yeah, sure. Took a deep breath, went on uh, Aussie Homebrew, looked up what people had been doing, contacted a few people, went off to the library, read the book uh, about Coopers. And in about a week, I had something that just about hung together. And you can hear that it's still online. There's a, there's a few things in there that now I've spent four years looking more broadly at um, uh, the Australian brewing industry uh, that 
perhaps I didn't have quite right at the time, but it, it wasn't too bad for a, a week and a half's research. <laughs> well, that's the thing about history is it's constantly changing, um, even when you're looking at the same point, depending on what document uh, comes can uh, bring in a completely different interpretation. I like the analogy that you've got a 10,000-piece jigsaw puzzle, and it's one of those tricky ones where you've got lots of very similar colours, uh, and you've lost the lid. Don't know. <laughs> you, you don't know what the picture is. Well, I, I guess that's uh, you know, one of the things is that books such as, you know, Alison Painter's book or books such as this don't uh, contain the complete um, unalterable history. They're just moving that historical research one step or you know, the two steps forward. So the next person that comes along has a jump off point where they can commence their research. Yeah, and that, that's very true of nearly all the Australian breweries uh, in about the 80s when they were hitting sort of centenary status. Cascade, Swan, Tui's. I sort them out in various libraries. What they tend to give you is the, the more commercial, who took over who and when. Uh, they have a few label images in there. They don't describe the beer. They don't describe or even mention usually the brewer. It's all about the business and the great tide estates of the time in the various places. Now, Often they don't. They haven't kept information about the beer. Is my experience. And uh, you know, when I was, I was doing some research into Crown Lager, and uh, we found some embarrassing truths around Crown Lager, and uh, when. The, the brewery themselves went back. They hadn't kept a lot of the uh, the, the, the brewers' logs and the, the historical records, and they only had they were self-referencing their own marketing of those beers as opposed to the brewing history of the beers because they didn't have them. That's a very pertinent point. There are a few people who I have no idea who they who they are after all this time. But when when some of the breweries closed. Uh, like Kent Brewery and Broadway, somebody had the good sense to donate to the Powerhouse Museum a lot of artefacts, and they donated a lot of the industrial and uh, hotelier-type information uh, to the Noel Butlin Archive, which is held at the ANU in Canberra. It was a bit of a daisy chain, but once, once I got access to the Powerhouse Museum information, you have to ask the open questions as, is there any more? And the guy said, well, there's some, there's some down in Canberra. And then you do your Googling, and there are boxes and boxes of stuff. The archivists talk about linear meters. And luckily enough, there were some brewing logs. It took me one trip to work out what I'd got, and it took me about six months to analyze what I had and then realized that I needed to look in a different area in the, in the archive and went back again and did some more. It's very much the jigsaw puzzle. You need to get a little bit of a leg up here and there. It was most useful. I contacted Chuck Han. He gave me an hour and a half of his time, and we, we, we talked quite a lot about um, uh, the Bolt Shovel Brewery, the, the way the James Squire uh, branding came about, and, and how it was based in a research paper. We talked about some of the things that went on at Toos when he was there, uh, and he gave me the the next link to Bill Taylor, who was, at that time, he was the, I think, group brewer for Lime. Uh, he facilitated through the production manager at uh, Auburn uh, access to the Tui's archive, and the Tui's archive was, um, it had been, put into two rooms and had not been... It had leaking pipes above them, I believe. Uh, Brett Stubbs has, has commented. Do you know Brett Stubbs? 
No, I don't. Oh, uh, Brett, uh, who does a lot of work for Australian Brews News, um, is you know, a long-standing beer historian and uh, has commented about that essentially there's no clo- uh, closet with uh, leaky pipes uh, that a lot of the stuff had been stored in. It, it was more stacked on pallet racking and wasn't in any particular order. It took me about a day to uh, get the books in some semblance of order and then work my way through. The, the great thing about it was that it um, covered essentially the the period of Tui's standard brewery from 1913 to 78, 1978, uh, with only a few books missing of the actual brewing logs. And that that's great because what you can do, because the beers didn't change greatly other than perhaps changing uh, hops, when you've got a piece of information missing from, say, a 1920 beer, you can usually work ahead and then find the relevant piece of information that was missing uh, or average it out from 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 looking at a, a span of material. And, and, and that's where, God, uh, 17 minutes in, uh, we, we can start, we, we will start talking about the book. But I guess uh, that's the um, point of the, the, the conversation is your book, Bronze Brews, that you've self-published, and we'll let people know where to order it a little bit later on. But one of the things for me is that this is an incredible beer history that will appeal to home brewers. Um, and you go through amazingly technical uh, sort of research into finding modern equivalents for old barleys or the, the best equivalents you can find for some of the barleys that are mentioned in, in, in the ingredients. So, um, you know, uh, where brewers in their logs, I'm just uh, turning to it now, and they start talking about uh, hydride malts, for example, and that there isn't a, uh, a modern malt called a hydride malt. And so you've gone through and found what the equivalent malts would be if people wanted to recreate any of these uh, recipes. I always take opportunities as they crop up. So I, um, I went to a 60th birthday party on, on, on Sunday and I presented the, um, uh, the poor person that had reached that age with a copy of my book. And then he said, ah, my cousin used to be a uh, maltster for Barrett Burston at Thornley and he'll be along later. And I thought, oh, that'll be good. I apologized beforehand to his cousin and I said, um, if you don't mind, I'd just like to ask you a few pointed questions. And he was he was there in the early 80s. Uh, and that was informative because uh, he said by that stage they were basically making pale malt. Uh, and for Toos, they would make uh, for the old beer uh, a slightly darker malt kiln at about five five lover bomb which would probably have its um origins back in those high dried malts which would have been i think quite different when they were because um, they used a different uh, barley variety uh, chevalier and in but in in doing all of those conversions and doing all that research have you found anything uh you know, was there anything really surprising to you um, as a modern home brewer with the modern technology available to us? Was, did, did you find anything that just sort of uh, made you think, wow, how things have changed? Um, not really. Modern brewing plant or computer control, it's not very analogous to a home brew setup. Whereas in the early 20th century, you can almost directly relate the way they were using the plant to the way you would brew. Uh, uh, some of the things around uh, they were doing 
various forms of decoction mashing sometimes. Get a decent recreation. Not only do you need to have a, a handle on the ingredients, but you also need to understand what sort of process they were using because you don't actually get the recipe. You've got a production log, and the production log sometimes is, is really unhelpful because all they write on it is same as usual for the mashing <laughs> regime. Now, that's not particularly useful. So having a spread of different logs over a period, you hopefully can work back to when they either changed it uh, or initiated it. So it, it's a bit of reverse engineering, if you like. And one of the things, it's interesting, you've had a fairly uh, lengthy um, writing about sugar, for example. Now, sugar is a bit of a, a uh, demonised ingredient in uh, you know, modern craft brewing circles where they talk about uh, adjuncts and big brewers. But sugar has always been a uh, component of beer in Australia, sugar and a whole lot of other fermentables. I'd, I'd say sugar is the... Um the signature adjunct, like maize might be in the maize or corn in the States would be their signature adjunct, and possibly rice. Let's just talk about truth in advertising for a, for a brief moment. So way back in 1830-something, Tooth & Co. were um, uh, advertising their beers as made from the finest malt hops, finest malt and hops. You look in the, the 1840 log, it's got 57% sugar. So, so, there, <laughs> so, so, they, so they've come down uh, to, to they've come down by half these days. I, I have no idea what what modern uh, modern grists are like. Uh, I'm I'm stuck in a bit of a time warp probably that ends in about 1970 something. I don't know about the demonising thing. You 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 look at the way. IPAs and double IPAs are brewed, especially in the west coast of America. They use an awful lot of dextrose. And I'm sure people here use an awful lot of dextrose because you get much more efficiency out of your mash tun if you, um, you, you can extend your brew length by putting sugar in. Uh, back in the, in the 19th century, they were using sugar as a direct replacement for, for malt because they didn't have enough malt, whereas today uh, sugar, like as is used in a lot of Belgian beers, it's, it's a perfectly valid ingredient. The, I think the, the kit and kilo uh, hangover needs, needs to be addressed, and uh, good fermentation practice, big starters, good oxygenation, um, we, we have actually brewed beers with, uh, this is not just me, but guys in the club. We brewed beers out of the book with um, 20, 30, 40% sugar. And, and they're, they're different, but they're not undrinkable. Peter, getting back to the um, analogy of the jigsaw puzzle. If the jigsaw puzzle, in the end, the picture turned out to be a roadmap from, of the number of beer styles, say, back in the 18th 1840s to now where we effectively have one major beer style, you know, a light European style lager. Does the book, does, does your four years of research effectively, I guess, pinpoint the, the, the time at which we kind of said, let's just all make the same beer or, or when, when style sort of converged and, and dropped out? My, my presentation down in um, Canberra to ANHC4 in 2014, I I talked 
talked about um, stouts equal to best imported. And I actually use timelines particularly for that presentation because it comes across uh, in that format reasonably well. And, and using the stout as an example, so porter and stout, 19th century, fair bit of importing, bit of local product. You get to the early 20th century and everybody uh, is trying to compete with imported Guinness. And then what I found is the commercial imperatives meant that some of the really well-established uh, beers, such as uh, Tui's Oatmeal Stout that ran from the 1930s to the 1970s, it, it eventually was, by commercial decisions, replaced by Guinness, because in my reading of the tea leaves, the group that was Tui's and uh, SAB in South Australia, uh, they were making Guinness export south locally. That meant that they didn't have a need, particularly with stout, that's such a, a niche product, uh, they didn't have a need for two stouts. So some of the really well-established beers, and I'm just using stout as an example, uh, have fallen by the wayside uh, because of small market you build in all the other things that have gone on with the centralization of the and consolidation of the market. So you've only got essentially two players there. Uh, that, that was essentially the situation from the 1970s. Uh, so that there's a lot of other externalities, uh, the breaking up of the tide house regime, competition commissions. And so all the political stuff going on in the background uh, has led to the uh, extinction of quite a few of the beers that are, that are represented in the book. Often the law of unintended consequences that uh, you know, we, we saw in England, a lot of the breweries struggled once the uh, Tide House um, changed as well. Um, but you, you mentioned uh, imported stouts and beers like Guinness. I was fascinated to read that uh, Torula, as it was known then, or what we now know as Britannomyces, um, was a key flavour component of the English flavour for local brewers to uh, to recreate some of those styles. Yeah, that, that was uh, something. So I'm, I don't tend to read logs that I'm photographing. Uh, I'm always attracted to any sort of uh, red ink because red ink usually means that somebody's made a change and it's worth looking at. But I got to 1930-something and uh, in one of the tooth logs, and it's for Bull Stout. And I, I looked, I looked down at it, and I thought, a flask of Brett Britannomyces. Ooh, that's interesting. So I, I filed that one away, and then in some of the other voluminous information, I found a discussion about the uh, change in taste from what was a more acidic. And if you're old enough, you can remember that Guinness used to have a bit of a, a nick, nick, nick in the at the end, whereas now it's just bland, but it used to have uh, uh, a little bit of a twang. So uh, the bull stout, uh, I'd, I'd love to, uh, I'd love to do that one with some with some Brett and uh, see how that one came out. But there was a, a great deal of discussion in the memos going around at the time in the 1930s about the change in taste that was happening in Melbourne and how that 
probably led to the uh, the introduction of or the rebranding of uh, two double stout to um, sheaf stout, and sheaf stout is one of the survivors. It's um, no matter how they're making it today, it's still a still a really nice beer, as is the the Abbotsford Invalid Stout and the Southwark Old Stout. They're, they're still really and the Cooper Stout, of course. So Stout is is one of the survivors. It's it's sort of below the radar, if you know what I mean. That the, the 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 big guys are still making Stout, which is excellent. One of the things it, it, in following on from that Britannomyces uh, question, I guess. You know, Modern craft brewers have discovered Britannomyces. It's, you know, this class of sour beers have become, you know, a, a, a very, very big thing. But there seems to be this, this notion that India pale ales or Australian sparkling ales or, uh, stouts and porters are somehow rediscovering beer styles from 100 years ago. And modern craft brewers are getting back in touch with the way beers used to taste. But, from from reading this book, it, it makes you realise that there was a time when most beers would have had a little bit of funk going on and not the very, very clean-tasting beers that we, uh, we we know today. You've got a tipping point where uh, the use of um, uh, single-strain yeast and, and the general need for cleanliness in the brewery kicks in early 20th century where you start seeing the rise of brewing analysts who are able to uh, identify bacterias. Grove Johnson uh, was a brewing analyst chemist who came out from England in the first decade of the 20th century. And one of his tasks was to clean up the, the Tooth Brewery uh, from um, presumably a lot of uh, wild yeast and stuff. So it probably didn't matter for, for Treble X, uh, it was brewed in a week, it went out to the pubs and it was drunk in a week, and the fact that it may have been a bit a bit contaminated uh, didn't really touch the sides, if you know what I mean. Uh, but they, they, they obviously had a, a, a pretty good handle on, on the, the flavour components uh, for, for pale ales, um, and there's quite a bit of... Um, uh, in, a, in a future book, uh, because I've also been to a lot of archives in the UK, uh, I, I went to uh, Stratford-upon-Avon uh, last year and um, uh, looked at the Flowers uh, brewing records, and they span from 1835 to 1955. And I, I'm thinking... In my, one of my future books, I will deal with the, uh, like a vertical tasting, but a vertical set of recipes on how IPA has changed from 1835 to 1955. And I, th I think we will find, and just a sneak preview, that it, that, uh, what people are doing today has all been done before, several times over. <laughs> Everything old is new again. Well, Peter, the book is called Bronze Brews, Home Brewing Old Australian Beers. It is anyone that's got any form of historical bent or just a little bit of home brewing bent or just a beer geek bent would like to know a little bit more about 
the the origins and history of Australian brewing, I highly recommend it. How can people get a hold of the uh, hold of it? The book is a print-on-demand book from Lulu, www.lulu.com. Please check their homepage before you look for Bronze Brews because they quite regularly have discount coupons that you can apply to your purchase. Uh, some people have managed to get the book, which is listed at uh, $27, $28. Can't quite remember now, but on online. And they quite often will have 10% discount or free shipping or something like that. So... Does that come out of your pocket if they use the coupon? No, it comes out of uh, Lulu's obviously um, interesting margins. Uh, the, uh, I get the same amount, uh, whatever. So uh, please use the discount coupon. If it means waiting for a little bit till you get to see a good offer, please do. Uh, it will save you some money. Um, and then you just type, you can either type in bronze brews into the Lulu search engine. It should come up. Uh, the actual URL is a bit long. Uh, Absolutely. We'll, we'll uh, include yeah. that in the show notes, but it's uh, bronze brews, home brewing, old Australian beers. Well, Peter, thank you very much for joining us on Australian Brewers News and congratulations on the book. It, it, you know, for somebody who has a, a love of history, it's just been uh, compelling reading. So thank you very much and uh, all the best with sales. Thank you very much, and uh, I really enjoyed um, our little chat. In the garden, what a garden. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. There you go, Prof. Uh, Peter Simons. Four years of... Um of research has gone into that book. That's that's an incredible uh, effort. It, well, he's a, he's a very serious fellow, as uh, listeners would have heard. You know, sort of uh, very considered um, in in his thinking. Um, you know, sort of uh, you know, the, the, there are yarn spinners and there are people who get in and do the heavy shovel work. Um, yep. With, with research, and uh, Peter's certainly done that. And uh, you know, look, I, I've talked about the book. I've uh, go to the show notes, and uh, you'll find a place to. Uh, to uh, buy it. Yeah, yeah that would, it would be a, a cracking read. So, uh, now let's see, Prof. Uh, last week we had Postman Pat. Um, let's see what Lockie's got for us this week. I'm wondering if you love this First of all, iTunes. Um, as we always uh, say, listeners, please jump onto iTunes or your favourite podcasting platform and uh, give us a rating. It doesn't have to be five stars, but just uh, let people know what they can expect when they hear it. And since last week, uh, Empty Thomas um, has uh, jumped on. Uh, can't go past it for beer news, five stars. A great podcast to keep you across the news in the Australian beer scene. Actually, I like how he's not included craft beer scene there, Prof, because as uh, this 
podcast has gone. It's not just craft beer. Good analysis and interviews with a range of relevant industry guests. Look forward to every new episode. Keep it up, guys. Um, I also note that he didn't say look forward to every week. Um, or even regularly. Yeah. Well, we, the, the, yeah, no, no promises there anyway. So um, Empty Thomas, and I can't, I'm looking at this in my, I, my iPhone podcast app, so I can't actually click through and see what else you've uh, re- reviewed to uh, see whether you're a man of generally good discernment or whether it's just us. Um, emails. Scott Pierce uh, has sent in an email. Hi, guys. I've been listening to your podcast from the start and love it. Um, this is 77 episodes, so you're, uh, you're stuck with us for a while. 77 episodes over about six years. I think we go back, Prof. Yeah. I look forward to each new episode, another one who doesn't say it's weekly. Um, as they're all interesting with a great range of guests from all sectors of the beer industry, I thought I would weigh in on the discussion you were having at the Hottest 100 about independent versus international-owned beers. I was once a staunch, independent-only craft beer drinker unless I was out and I couldn't get it. I'm slowly changing my position and probably because I live 30 minutes from Little Creatures in Geelong. I try 150 to 200 new craft beers each year, mostly bottled, uh, mostly bottled, as there are only a few places serving good beer on tap down here on the coast. Since Little Creatures have opened in Geelong, I have been there many times and have introduced many Corona, VB, Carlton Draft, etc. drinkers to their full-flavoured, exceptionally well-made beers. It has been fantastic watching them try different styles and occasional brews only available from the venue. The food and atmosphere just want to make you stay all day. You can even sit outside with the dog while the kids play in the sandpit uh, and do a brewery tour. As for White opening, white Rabbit opening next door, that has taken it to a new a level with all barrels in there full of what should be amazing barrel-aged beers. Um, I'll cut to the chase. Uh, I've come around to thinking I will always support local independent brewers, but when it is done well, as little creatures have done, it is worth taking advantage of. The getting people to have a look at well-made beers with flavour, which is the first step of the journey. Yep. P.S., that is not an ad for them. I don't know anybody now. Who'd... And uh, no, I that, couldn't that, have said that's it a myself. good point, well made. Yep. All things being equal, perhaps uh, independent. Otherwise, you know, it's just about good beer. And uh, we certainly can't fault that. Prof, um, any luck in getting... We've we've tried to tee up Warren Pawsey for a chat. Um, he's a busy man. The head brewer is down there. Maybe we should uh, try and lock in a, a date with him again. Yeah, I'll, uh, I spoke to the guys from Creatures um, when I was down in Geelong on the weekend, and uh, he's a very busy man. Uh, but I'll, I'll keep sending, and, and um, you know, one will hit eventually. Absolutely. Uh, now there has also been quite a bit of Twitter discussion about the last podcast. Um, we've had uh, Dan at TWTR underscore Dan, um, Adrian Moran at Osbeer Journey at Blair underscore Noel um, and a couple of others uh, chatting about the, the podcast. I won't read them all out, guys, but uh, anyone who wants to join in the discussion can do that there. Um, Thanks for your feedback. Yeah. Anyway, Prof, uh, anything else uh, before we sign off for another to see what... No, it's all from me. Dan. And that's all from him. So, listeners, thank you very much to Coin a Phrase. Um, thank you very much once again. Uh, next week, uh, let's see, we do have a podcast. In fact... Mate, I'm a little Speaking bit worried. Tap Speaking of Tap King, yeah. Um, I, I don't want to be a little bit uh, lion heavy, but they just seem to have the news. Um, of course, still can't speak to any of their brewers about Ultra, um, Han Ultra, mm. for some reason, but we'll keep trying on that. Um, but yeah, no, next week we're going to talk to the head of the branding of uh, Tap King and uh, 
just get a, get their thoughts on what happened um, with Tap King. It was big news three or four weeks ago that they pulled the carpet uh, out from under Tap King, um, which probably wasn't a surprise in retrospect, but certainly with the big Lionel Richie launch, um, it was still one of the biggest um, shows that we ever, uh, biggest stories that we ever ran. There was such wide interest, Prof, um, in, in, in the in the Tap King that you know I yeah. had marked it as something that was probably go and it was and I thought it was great because it was bringing an interest to beer, um, you know, just in in something that was relatively uh, you know innovative um, that word that's used far too often it was used quite innovatively so um, yeah just interested to see from their perspective what happened did you ever have a Tap King yourself Prof with you I had at my house when you stayed was that the only yeah. time you had it Yep. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was a nice little bit of kit. It, there did seem to be some problems with it. I know that you and I, you know, being masters of the uh, draft pour that we are, found that it sort of poured a little bit foamy on occasion. In fact, I think we had trouble... No, the first one we one had, yeah, it was the, we found out that it was the, the original Tap King dispenser that you'd been sent uh, was a bit faulty. Yeah. And it wasn't, and it uh, wasn't quite engaging, um, so it, it wasn't opening up as, as much as it should. So I don't know whether that was part of the problem, but you know, we were sort of getting mm. a bit of dribble factor rather than a sort of a nice, you know, energetic pour. And reading the Facebook pages, that certainly seems. So anyway, we're, we're talking uh, Tap King next week, which will be, you know, it'll be interesting to see how forthright they are, Prof, but it'll certainly be an interesting uh, conversation no matter what. And look, and if, uh, if for nothing else, Matt, you know, we were there, we were there at its, its birth. We, we were there when it passed away. We were there during those troublesome teenage years. Um, so it'd be nice as Bruce News to sort of, you know, we not broke the story, but we sort of, we, we certainly, they were, I think we actually did. I, I, I think uh, back in the day, we were the first to publish with a story there you go. Um, on it. So yeah, not, not that that matters. Ah. That's not what we set out to do. But anyway, oh, mate, I think five minutes ago, I said, cue the band. Yep. We're out.